Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's president, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Hey, welcome to the Benefit Roast. It's a beautiful Monday afternoon, but I got to say it feels like it's an hour off because of daylight savings time. But we're working in Perkin here going forward. We're going to talk about health benefits over a virtual cup of coffee. So get ready for a really exciting discussion. Our topic today is association health plans, where there's a lot of mystery, a lot of confusion. And in a minute, Roger Bain's going to join me. But first, let me go over a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to join into the discussion, which we'd love you to do, all you need to do is put a comment in the comment box on your screen. And if you'd like to be unmuted so you can talk to us, notify us through that location as well. Tell us that you want to be unmuted and we'll let you talk with us. Uh, but we will try because we get so many questions. We have so many people coming on. I'm looking right now. It looks like the time change did not affect anyone. We've got people from all over the U.S. I see St. Louis. I see Atlanta. I see San Jose, I'm assuming that's California, though I don't have a way of knowing. And I even see, Roger, someone from Canada today. So we're, we're now international. So we have that going for us. Uh, so let me introduce Roger. It's Roger Bain. He's a small business owner, just like a whole lot of you. And he's been creating innovative health benefit solutions for years. Uh, he keeps saying 32. I can't believe it's that many. Um, he's president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation, um, which is a national health benefits provider based in Baltimore, Maryland, where both he and I are today. And I, I just want to say Roger's one of the most knowledgeable people on these issues, and there's probably no one I know who could talk about association health plans more than Roger. So, Roger, I'm going to start things off with you with a real simple question. What's an association health plan, and when would a small business owner or any business owner want or need to care about them? Wow, Bob. Well, first of all, you have to know the only reason you don't like to admit the 32 years is because you've been there a little bit longer. So <laughs> um, we can talk about that all day long. But nevertheless, an association health plan has been talked about for many years on many different levels. They've been successful in years past. They've been destroyed by healthcare reform measures in some states periodically over time. And then ultimately were virtually eliminated by the ACA. And basically what an association health plan is, is really a, a commingling of a whole bunch of employers joining forces to negotiate for better pricing in a health insurance plan. And they do that through a variety of ways and help, therefore, somebody that's a member of the Chamber of Commerce or some other organization like an engineering association or accounting organization, et cetera. And they can say, hey, we have an association health plan. We've negotiated with XYZ insurance company to give us a better rate because we're going to cut their marketing costs because we're going to do it here and we're all members and we're all going to support the plan and join and the association is going to get some revenue. 
And that's really, in essence, what we're talking about. We're simply. And, and Roger, it's it's also, isn't it, that because you have a bigger pool of people? So if we have 100 companies with 20 employees each, you have a whole lot more people in that pool, which would be the benefits. So the rates would be lower, right? Well, see, this is one of the challenges that we have in the world. And the perception from the political pulpit and from some other organizational places would like you to think that you are gaining economies of scale by having 100,000 members in this association. But you have to remember that most Blue Cross organizations or large carriers have millions of members. So I'm not so sure that the economies of scale argument carries a whole lot of weight. So, so, so let that, me see if I can crystallize that a little bit. You're saying that the Blue Cross in my local state, we're here in Maryland, probably has some couple of million people in it. And if I had the Chamber of Commerce Association for my local county, they might have 10,000 people in it. So that Blue Cross group is going to be better off when it comes to rate times and distributing costs because it has more members than the association. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that the association is not gaining a significant price advantage because of the rule of large numbers, because their rule of large numbers is much smaller than the big insurance companies. Okay, but it's also giving access to coverage to organizations that couldn't afford it on their own, correct? Uh, I'm, I'm not confident that that's the case. Again, the, the big misnomer is where is this massive discount for an association health plan coming from? Right. Well, I guess that's where we're struggling here, Roger, because I'm just I'm portraying to you the things that I've heard from people when I bring this topic up. So clearly there's some fact in fiction. Can you go a little deeper into it so that we can start to understand where for a small business owner there is fact? Because ultimately that's all that matters, right? Uh, that is all that matters. And, and that is the challenge is separating fact from fiction myth from reality and and a dream from the actual situation that we all deal with every day when you when you talk about an association health plan in yesteryear there may have been some advantage uh, there was once a chamber plan that was national it was run out of northern virginia by a gentleman named jim palmer or john palmer been around for a long time. I think he's since retired. But that chamber plan was a national program with chambers of commerce from all over the country. It was fully insured by a single carrier with benefits that were somewhat standardized and sold all across the country under a large group trust. And in that case, it was a product that was competitive in the marketplace but again, that's all it really was. It was a product that was competitive in the marketplace that rewarded the associations, i.e. the local members and chambers of commerce, with some revenue sharing or some form of income and certainly was a perceived value added by their membership. 
that doesn't mean necessarily that they had such a significant pricing advantage that they did better than any other group employer trust, like the Lincoln National Trust or Employers Health Insurance or Fireman's Fund or or any of the products, John Alden. I mean, there was a million of these multiple employer trusts out there that were all much larger than most of your association plans. The, the fact that they could create a competitive product back then was true and was real. But the market has changed today, and we're dealing with a little bit different face value. So now when we talk about an association health plan, there's a couple of things we have to look at. And, and, and let's start with managing a health plan in general, Bob. When you start talking about managing a health plan, you have to look at – let me see one thing real quick. Here you go. You have to look, and I hope you can now see my slide. I can. Okay. So you, you have, have to describe it, though, for our folks who can't see them. Yeah, for anybody that can't see, the first slide, we're talking about managing a health plan. And to attract membership in a health plan, it, it's, I hate to say it, but it's somewhat cliche, much like the old real estate perspective on the three most important things in real estate location, location, and location. In the world of health insurance, the three most important things have been rates, rates, and rates for every single year of the 32-plus years that I've been in this business. That's the bottom line. Americans don't shop health care. They shop their health care plan, and they're going to buy a health insurance program or a health benefit plan that has the most attractive rates for the benefits that they are seeking. It's that simple. So we can talk about a whole lot of tangential things. At one time, we added HMOs and PPOs into the marketplace. So along with rates came network, um, how many docs are in, who's the participating physicians, et cetera. But even amongst that, the only way a smaller network would ever get sold was because of rates. Rates were always the driving factor. And so if we're going to get membership in a plan, we have to have a competitive rate posture. And then, of course, well, Roger, if I can just jump in, because I've got a comment here from Joe, who's saying it is about rates because I can't afford to spend one dollar more than uh, the lowest amount possible to cover people who work for me. Well, that, that's absolutely right. Every employer is seeking to provide benefits to their employees at a price that they can afford. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, in, in many, many years and seminars that I've conducted, we, we always talk about the employer, what they want. And their demands are always the same, and they always boil down to two things. Keep my employees happy. Do it for less. Those are the two goals. That's what an employer wants. And therefore, if you're going to be successful creating a health insurance plan in an association, for an example, that association health plan is going to have to have rates that allow you to keep employees happy for less money. That means you can't take the benefits and make them horrible just to get your rates down. You have to satisfy the employees. And the level of happiness of the employee population might vary by employer. A physician's office, a computer IT firm, a high-end white-collar firm may have greater demands on what they expect 
for their health benefits then maybe a construction firm, a blue collar, a restaurant. Uh, they're they're going to have different demands and different expectations. So when you go out there for rates, every employer knows that, that their health benefits are one of their largest overhead expenses, typically second only behind payroll. And as such, they need to grill those. They need to look at them very, very close. So to get membership into a health plan, you got to have the rates and the rates and the rates. And then to keep those rates, you have to be managing utilization. And that means how much health care is being consumed within this big pool of business that we're talking about building. And in order to manage utilization, you have to manage selection. So we're managing the selection. Who are we bringing into this plan? If we bring in every sick person in the nation and don't bring in 10,000 healthy people for every sick person, we're going to have a challenge, right? So we have to look at that selection, and we, then we have to be able to rate appropriately throughout this block of business in order to help get that. So those are important factors. Now, when we talk Roger, about- can I jump in? I've got a question from Kyle, who I think was with us last week as well, if I'm not mistaken. And he says he wants to know as a small business owner, does a company like yours help people when they're trying to decide what the right level of benefits based on their employee base is, the white collar versus blue collar, the demands versus what they can afford? Do you go into that with your clients typically in, in some form of detail, and you wanted to know how? Well, we, we typically do, but we usually do that through their independent broker. So they'll have an independent health insurance broker, and we typically will distribute our products and, and the work that we do, not just product, but our overall service supports the broker in that mission. So, yeah, in the absence of a broker, we would certainly do that to help a customer until we assign a broker or find a broker for them. But the reality is that's absolutely the most important thing for all of us is that we need to help that small business owner, that employer, small or large, understand and find their best option and whatever innovative methodologies exist to help them get the rates they need and do a better job. So Kyle replied, so if I've never offered health insurance before to my employees, you could help me figure this riddle out so I do the right thing. Yeah, we can certainly help them navigate and get that in the right direction. Okay, great. I thought so, but I just wanted to let you answer the question. Thanks, Kyle. Go ahead, Roger. Sorry to cut you off. So with all the talk about the value of association health plans or the talk about an association health plan and the value, we have to talk about it. First of all, what is an association health plan? Well, okay, we take our local benefit or local engineering association or our local chamber of commerce and we say, okay, we have X number of employers and the average number of employees is this. And that means we have 50,000 people out here that we can bring to you to create this health plan. Now, unfortunately, all too often, that's only a prospect list, not a member list, right? So we have 50,000 people that we can offer the health plan to. That doesn't mean necessarily that they all enroll. And so the number of bodies that come into this health plan becomes the negotiating leverage in trying to get an insurance company to maybe shave a little bit out of their overhead or marketing expense or profit margin or whatever we're trying to get to. And we create this independent, separate block of business called an association health plan that says the ABC organization 
now has their own health plan, and it's going to be rated based on our enrollment and our people and that credibility of this block. And we're going to use all of those people to negotiate better rates for whatever the value of those numbers are. That's what we're going to use to negotiate. And that's what creates an association health plan. But then the value of that for the association, it's all about membership goals. They want to provide something that attracts members. If I have an association health plan that's a few dollars cheaper times 25 employees, that may very well justify my dues. And so a firm will join my association to get this discounted health plan, and then everybody's happy. I've got a new member. They've got a better deal on their health insurance. Our association is a hero and we've done a lot of good things. At the same time, this insurance company may be offering the association a couple of dollars per employee per month in non-dues revenue that helps the association continue all the good work that they do in education and negotiating leverages and everything else that they do within the association. So the value of this association health plan is membership and dues revenue and hopefully a discount for the employers and the groups that are joining this health plan. But in order to achieve that, the health plan has to win, Bob. First and foremost, you've got to get the enrollment. If the health plan doesn't win, we've got nothing except maybe some value added. No enrollment means no value added. No enrollment means no revenue, no new membership, to win, we've got to go back to that basic premise of rates. And, and, and I know I keep pounding on that. I sound like I'm just selling price, but I'm really not. This is what employers are looking at. When they look, the studies have shown that when an employer looks at their health plan every year and starts shopping their health plan, you've got to be around 8% less expensive than the current guy, or they don't move. They don't change. They stay where they are. So at large, those rate issues are the number one things that have to be of concern. So now we got to talk about whether an association health plan can get there and how to get there, because we have to be there year after year after year. It is a critical component to the success of an association health plan to continue to drive and retain membership at a normal percentage, not a 100% retention, but a normal percentage. And that's really important as well. It's better than 100%. And we'll talk about why. So if you're going to manage that value, now we have to get into these really ugly terms like risk selection and management. And by risk selection and management, I'm talking about we need to look at individual groups before accepting them. You know, and by that, Roger, you mean individual employee groups, employer X and his employees, correct? That's correct. If you have this association health plan that has 500 employers, not every employer should be qualified to enroll. If you have six employees with two catastrophic claimants or even one catastrophic claimant, to enroll that in the early days of your association health plan is a death warrant. Because, because those it's large make claims, the price is so high. Those large claims will destroy any ability for that association health plan to be competitive going forward. 
It's just not practical. And it's harder today than it was 25 years ago because healthcare expenses have now gotten so out of hand and have escalated so high that claim volume is just ridiculously large. And with that kind of a claims exposure, you simply can't control costs by taking all comers without regard to any individual risk characteristics of a group. So you've got to be able to look at individual groups that are entering. And then you've so got to be able to... a small employer, Roger, this is not the panacea for all my rates were so high. I have 20 employees and four of them have serious conditions. And I thought the association health plan was going to save me. Doesn't sound like that's going to work real well. No, what I, what I tell brokers all across the country is that if the expectation expectation of your association leadership and executives and your board of directors, if that expectation is a panacea, then walk away from the project. It just won't work. You cannot satisfy everyone and achieve the goals you want. If you could do that, we wouldn't have a healthcare crisis today. We wouldn't be in the situation where we are constantly talking about the National Health Care Forum in the news and in the newspaper and everywhere we look. So to think that there's this magic bullet out there because we can take 100 employers and make them into one is like saying that General Motors doesn't have a problem with the cost of their health benefits either because they have 100,000 employees or however many they have, right? So it's just not a practical expectation. So we have to look at that. Those groups coming into an association need to be rated based on their own merits, their own risk characteristics and who they are and what they do. You know, a chamber of commerce is even tougher than an engineering association, for example, because an engineering association, we know what the industry trend is and what their industry is like and how they spend. In a chamber of commerce, you have a a hodgepodge of all of the industries. So in in that type of thing, you have this total mix of unpredictable from restaurants to local retail to engineering to IT to contracting organizations and construction trades. You just can't expect one rate to fit everyone. And if you do, you're asking for big, big trouble. So once we get the membership in, now we've got to renew individual groups based upon their own status. Because if we don't, once again, we're looking at significant challenges in how we can manage this block of business and keep the rates where they need to be. Utilization becomes the next big factor. If we're going to manage value, we have to look at that utilization. Benefit designs are of critical importance to help manage that. Network designs or network replacement programs or all of the innovative things that are going on in the wellness field today, all of these things are important components in making sure we do what we can to educate the healthcare consumer to use their benefits appropriately so that we don't have excess utilization and that we can control costs to the best of our ability in order to manage a benefit long-term for a group of people in an association or in any community to help get the best value out of their healthcare dollar. And it doesn't happen just by saying, come on, everybody, let's just go do it. There's just Roger, I've got a question from Eric who's asking the same question I want to ask you. 
If these association health plans are so bad, why is everyone talking about them? And he even says he's seen a couple that he thinks just started up recently. There, there are a few, uh, and I'm sure there's probably many more that I'm aware of. There are a couple of association health plans that have started to gain some momentum, and they're doing it through either some buying consortiums or some existing group or an existing idea. I'm not sure. But I do know that if they follow the association health plan regulations, I have great fears for their success. Now, some might be skirting the regulations. I hope that's not the case. Others might have the greatest ambitions and hope that they can overcome the challenges that are created by the regulations. But here's the problem. We just talked about managing a health plan, and now we talk about the association health plan regulations. They prohibit risk selection based upon health factors, and my apologies for the typo on your slide. But risk selection based upon health factors is prohibited under the association health plan laws. The reason people are talking about them is because Donald Trump is talking about them. When you have the president of the United States espousing the virtue of selling across state lines in an association health plan, but with no knowledge of how to build the regulations down beneath it to make that actually work, and nobody on the team that knows how to build those regulations, then you build a set of regulations that appear to achieve what you want, but are destroyed by the lack of control for the association to truly build a valuable benefit to their employees. So we can't rate based upon health factors of the group, absolutely prohibited, and we can't renew those groups based upon health factors in the group. So now what happens, if you can picture this for a moment, we bring in 100 groups, and out of that 100 groups, 10% of them are really bad groups from an experience, from a claims perspective. Meaning they have high costs associated with the care of their employees. Yes, they have high costs. The employees' dependents, cancers and other high-cost things, right? Exactly. So we have a lot of high-cost utilization. We have millions of dollars worth of claims, sometimes millions of dollars worth of claims per person, on these claimants. And when you're looking at this 10% of the population having this significant amount of claims, now we have a big issue, right? We have the issue that we have to rate that group at renewal based on the same as everybody else. Guess what that means? That means everybody else has to pay for those claims. Everybody else to put in a little bit more money into the pot, sometimes a lot more money into the pot. And because they want to put more money into the pot, some of those groups within that population are going to say, this isn't a good deal for me anymore. And the moment that happens, Katie bar the door, right? Because now the best groups are going to leave. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we have, we have a question from Jessica that says, Association Health Plans is the number one inquiry they get at their agency. It's exhausting. Many times it's an employer has less than five employees looking for a way to offer benefits. And does it make more sense for a group of this size? And Jessica, I thank you very much for your question. It's an important one because we, too, are hearing multiple inquiries in this regard. 
And I would tell you that the answer to that question is no. It doesn't really make any more sense for the employer under five employees. In fact, maybe even less. One of the most difficult challenges, and I would challenge anybody, I mean, the real estate industry is somebody that's really looking for an association health plan because most of their people are 1099. They're all individuals. Well, the problem with individuals is the same as the problem with every single state in the union since the passage of the ACA. If you make them guaranteed issue in the same rate as everyone else, you're going to get those people that are facing catastrophic claims to enroll in your plan and burden your plan with those catastrophic claims. And for every million-dollar claim, you need to take 10,000 members or 1,000 members, excuse me, and add $1,000 to their premium every year just to break even on that $1 million claim. So $1,000 is a huge increase in premium for an individual. So when you look at those challenges, it's really, really bad. And so I think that you're going to find that those association health plans that really make an effort are going to be over 50 employees in average and rather than in the under 50 marketplace, unless they do something considerably different to get there. So this problem of the association health plan regulations and the way they're built itself creates anti-selection. And that's what I described earlier. The rates will creep upward for everyone. And as they do, the best of the best leave this association health plan, find better options on their own because they can. And there are a multitude of options out there in the world today, not just ACA coverages, but self-funded plans that give you a lot of options. There are health plan consortiums that are out there that do similar things under a self-funded platform. And the bottom line, is the best of the best groups can find a better option than a plan that has this code creep that gets going up. So once the best of the best depart, the group rates automatically get worse. Once they get worse, that cycle continues because now the next level of groups that are pretty good, they weren't the best, but they're pretty good. Now they can find a better deal. And when they leave, now the rates are getting to where we're leaving only the highest utilizers, and that cycle continues into what we call in the industry a death spiral. Rates just spiral completely out of control, and there is really no way at that point to get it under, under any sense of control. So the whole thing begins to collapse, and it falls apart around you. So the solution to that is to use an affinity plan rather than rather than association health plan. And what's an affinity plan? It's simply a more loosely managed or not loosely managed, loosely held type of an association health plan. You go to an association and say, we're not going to be a specific health plan. But what we are going to do is negotiate with some players in that market that provide preferred self-funded health plans. And we're going to give discounts, and we're going to provide value to the membership, and we're going to enroll only the groups that we really think can help build the association health plan to be a long-term player. So in that affinity health plan, you can get some pooled and negotiated rates. You can negotiate to get some discounts. You can reduce commissions paid to the distribution field a little bit. You can do some things to help get a little more aggressive. The value to the association membership is very similar. 
you, you get more members, you get a little bit of non-dues revenue, and you're building something. But now you're building one where you can manage the individual groups within this pool of block as needed to rate them appropriately and to renew them appropriately. Because if you can't do that, then that's when it begins to fall around your ears. So you can do an affinity health plan really is, is kind of just a buying group. Instead of, however, putting them all into one contract, every group buying is under their own contract and therefore can be regulated accordingly instead of have all the risk management techniques prohibited. And that's what's really important here. So when we talk about association health plans today, we're talking about it in a way that gives the employer, the, the group member, the member group of an association, every option that the market has available to them, we will make available to the association member. But by doing so, we also have a few lead programs that can offer the discounts and the member incentives and a value added and can really drive some advantage to the association while building a block of business that over time can grow strong enough to have better and better negotiating skills and, and negotiating clout. The problem is, and, and I don't want to create any false expectations, that negotiation is still only a few points. Rates are driven by the cost of health care. Rates are not driven by the cost of the health care plan. They're driven by the cost of the health care utilized within that plan. So those rates that are a direct function of the cost and the utilization of the health plan itself, that's where the management needs to come in. When you start talking about economies of scale and discounts because of the numbers of members, you're really not talking about some 20 or 30% discount or savings. It's not going to happen. And my best example to that is the nonprofit co-ops that were created by the billions of dollars given away in grants by the ACA that said, we need more competitors. So we're going to create these nonprofit health plans. And certain entities, in fact, I think 26 states got nonprofit co-ops up and running. Only one of them ever survived, and it became commercial. And the reality is they, they felt that because they were nonprofit, they were going to be 20 or 30% less expensive to the membership. And that just didn't compute because a typical underwriting profit for an insurance company is more like 2 to 4%. So you go nonprofit, you save a couple of points. There's no way you can save 30 or 40 percent unless you're not going to pay the medical providers. So I'm just not sure where some of that comes from. We all get this ambition to create a better mousetrap. But unless you truly have a better mousetrap, it just doesn't happen. And that's what, unfortunately, we see too many times. Can so, I ask you a couple questions, Roger? Yes, please. Okay. Tom said, are these affinity groups a legal designation like an association health plan, or is this just something that people call something that they're doing? And if it is just something they're calling it, is it fully legal? Um, it, it is not a legal designation, and therefore it is fully legal. Uh, Tom, it's really what we're saying is we're talking to the association members about a better way for all of us 
to talk to carriers and get a couple of health plan options that could be lead options that could be valuable to many of our members, but not every one of our members. But those members that it's not good for, we have the existing products in the marketplace, the ACA products and others that are available for them to purchase and and work through the association to find the best deal. So the real key here is let's find out whether your group is one of those better groups that should be getting a better deal. And to do that, you do a group risk assessment. And and that's maybe the value added that an association health plan can offer. We can go to every group company within an association and say, we're going to do a complete analysis on your group and determine whether or not you deserve preferred rates or mid rates or whether you really need to stay in the protection of the ACA. That value is probably the number one value added, not just for the group members or, or, or for the member companies, but also for the association itself, because in order to build a long-standing process, you need to really be able to build a group that you can manage. So, no, it's not a legal entity, and it's not, and it's yet it is completely legal to do because all we're saying is we're going to examine and provide the best value to every group that we can possibly provide. Roger, Tom asked a follow-up question. I'm interested in that risk assessment, but what does that entail? Well, a risk assessment, typically for our firm, what we do in a group risk assessment is we will set up an online portal where all of your employees can go out and do an enrollment process and answer questions about the health status and, and other things. So we get all the demographics and we'll do a full analysis. And then we can come back to the employer and say, look, here's what we have. This is the demographics of your group. This is the age, the gender, the dependent status. And by the way, you have these conditions, you have these admitted prescriptions. We don't tell them which employees have what, but we can certainly talk about a projected cost for their group and whether or not There are options for them that can help control those costs or do better, or are they looking so good that they should be in a different type of health plan, or are they looking so bad that they need to stay in an ACA marketplace for that protection? That's what a group risk assessment is all about. It's a simple online electronic portal, but you got to get the employees to go do their job, complete the enrollment process, answer the questions honestly, and when they do that, now we have some real valuable intelligence for the employer strategy so he knows where he can go. And sometimes, one of the greatest things about that, Bob and Tom, um, everybody, one of the greatest things about that is that we can find out sometimes how to rehabilitate a group. I've been on groups where we have done some analysis and found that nearly 60% of the group had high blood pressure, hypertension, or obesity and diabetes. Well, that's a huge percentage. And all of those are conditions that can be altered by lifestyle choices and can help improve. So putting a wellness program in for a group like that, where we really start to talk to the employees about how to control diabetes or how to stay adherent to treatment for their hypertension and high blood pressure, maybe some wellness programs that lend exercise and other initiatives into some weight loss competitions or who knows what, they can help rehabilitate a group, make them healthier, more productive employees, and ultimately get them to a better rate for their health plan. 
Roger, Ethan's asking, what's the cost for that group risk assessment with your company? Well, our company, we don't charge for that. Um, you know, we do our best to help the employer get his guidance. And then oftentimes we'll make a sale out of it. And oftentimes we won't, but we don't charge for that process. What they do with that material, or that information is really up to them and their broker. But, uh, you know, from a goodwill perspective, we do win a lot of business from it, but certainly not anything that we charge for. Okay, and then Jim's got a statement. I'm going to just read it to you as it appears, and you can respond however you see fit. The healthy are, are still the best people for insurance. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that are the best people for insurance, and in some perspectives, they, they may need it the least. Um, but, it, you know, the best thing you can do is liken it to homeowner's insurance. You know, it is a lot easier to insure a home that's not on fire or not in a floodplain or on the coastal waters than it is to insure one that's on fire already or is right on the seashore. And, and that's the same in any type of insurance, right? We, we have to look at the perspective of that individual risk characteristic so that we know exactly what we're looking at. So, Roger, just to, I think we're out of questions. I just want to sort of see if you can clarify things for me. If I'm a small business owner and I've listened to this for the last uh, 46, 47 minutes, roughly, what would I do based on what you've told me? What are the two or three things that you say, hey, these are the action items I'd like you to take based on what I've just said to you? Well, first thing you want to do is copy the link at the bottom of the slide that you see here so you get your $5 for a cup of coffee for joining us. Um, the second thing you do is you go back up to this page and you send a message to marketing at benefitindemnity.co. It's not a misprint. It is .co. And we can show you how to easily set up your group risk assessment and get your free group risk assessment underway. Or could they call you, Roger, as well? Oh, sure. Anybody can call me. It's that number, your direct line, right? You always like things directly to you, right? My direct line is 443-275-7412. That's 443-275-7412. And I'll take your call anytime and make sure you get in the right hands. Okay, that's two things. Is there one more thing that you would say that the people should do? Learn, read. Um, and you can't, you can't believe everything you read, but when you start reading some of the things that you can find about healthcare and how it works, it just becomes really, really important to be able to communicate with your physician about what's going on in your healthcare plan and how to get your best deal. Um, there's not nearly as many people in the public sector that know the insurance business as well as they could to really drive the results that we expect from healthcare reform. So unfortunately, politics gets in the way of expertise. And even those that have had the very best intentions testifying to Congress will be looked at as a special interest. And so everybody's got a skeptical eye. And so it's very difficult for your legislators to see through all of the special interests and ferret out the truth about a health plan. So sometimes you've really got to just listen, talk to your broker, get more information, but certainly don't fly blind. Do a group risk assessment so you know what you have in your group 
so that you can know what's the real story. Great. I think that's great advice, Roger. I think it really puts a, a fine point on the end of this just because you covered a lot of information. And I always like that small business owners listen and get something out of this that they can take away and do today or tomorrow. So I appreciate all your insights as always. It's always fun to learn these things. Um, I will reinforce that you said it's a complicated field. I've been uh, dealing with insurance uh, as a reporter, editor, and other capacities now for about 20 years. And I still think I'm only at about 30% of what I need to know to really understand it well. So I wanted to just throw that out there. But there are some good resources. And if you talk to brokers and call Roger, he's another resource uh, that you can talk to if you have questions. And I know he's always eager to answer the phone and help people. So with that, we're going to close this episode of Benefit Roast. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 3.30 Eastern time. Until then... Have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate you joining. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.